It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today, we are wrapping up a message series called Toxic. And uh, it's kind of funny to have toxic when we're talking about baptism today. But, but I think really important because this, we're talking about toxic religion. And you might not even think that, that religion could be toxic, but, but it can. Or maybe you go, hey, I, know, I do know religion can be toxic. You know, I, I came to church at the worst time of my life and I got met with hypocrisy. Or I got met with, I got met with hatred or I got met with condemnation. And I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I really felt like I was looking for hope and, and nobody was there. Maybe that's kind of what you've experienced. And I got to tell you, religion can be toxic. <laughs> it really can. And what should be life-giving sometimes can be life-taking. And today we want to talk about how do we avoid that? And we're not talking about the church down the road. So we're talking about us. How do we do that? Because, because the truth is that some of us have experienced that. On the other hand, some of us are going, hey, I've been a Christian for 10 years or more. And we're going, but don't there have to be standards? <laughs> Doesn't there have to be, isn't there truth? And we go, we've been talking about this for some time to say there's a tension between truth and grace and what do we do with that and how do we resolve this or is it resolvable? And and today we want to kind of talk through how do we do that and how do we avoid becoming a toxic church? We We define toxic this way, anything that contains poisonous material that's capable of causing sickness and or death. Um, That's the definition. So you can put it on the screen, Neil, if you want. Um, and that's the definition. I just I put it up there, and the reason why I wanted to punctuate it is this. Because sometimes we're thinking of these things as just small things, but really they're toxic. They're capable of causing sickness and or death, and they can kill an organization. They can kill a movement, and we've got to be careful. So we talked about several things in this series. We talked about toxic words. We've talked about toxic influences. We talked about toxic people. Does everybody know some people can be toxic? <laughs> um, we, and we talked about toxic influences and, um, and toxic thoughts. And so if you missed any of that, go back and listen to newbranch.tv. You can watch them, and I recommend that you do. But today, we want to talk about toxic religion or toxic church. How does it, how does it turn into that? How do we avoid that? And I've got to tell you, it's not just a 21st century thing. It's, it's a first century thing. And the early church faced exactly what we do now, and I believe that it's shared in the book of Acts as an example to us of how to handle this, because what they did was huge, and it affected so many people. In fact, it affected all of us here today, what they, what they did in the first century church. So, so I want to talk to you about it. I do want to say, if you've got kids here, that's fine. It's a little bit PG-13, so I'll just warn you, it's no worse than any movies you've probably seen. But what they were facing is a little bit odd, like, like the topic is a little bit odd, and we'll explain why, because you're kind of like, what, what does this have to do with anything? But, but it does. Okay, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, <laughs> there it is, and if you don't know what that means, ask your parents, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, you might be going, well, that's really weird and uncomfortable. It's the Bible, we're going to go with it. But, um, <laughs> but the reason why that was important to them was this was a custom or a law from Moses. Now, before we go any further, we go, hey, we don't want to do away with the law of Moses. We all believe kind of in the Ten Commandments and that kind of thing. We're not talking about just the moral law. We're talking about a covenant law that pointed to Christ, and they were still following this. So, so some of the people that were saved 
we're, we're going, hey, these Gentile churches were starting to grow huge. So when the church started, it started in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so they all kind of followed the traditions of Moses because they were always, they always did their church that way, or they always did their religion that way. But as they started to go into these Gentile areas, they didn't follow the customs of Moses. They've never heard of Moses. So they didn't care about any of these traditions. So some of the kind of church people came along and said, wait a minute, you guys aren't doing it right. In fact, if you don't do it our way, you're not even saved. Anybody ever had that happen? (laughs) You can't really, and what they're really saying is this, you can't belong here until you comply with the way we see these things. Now, we're not talking about the principles of God's word. We're talking about their style, their customs. And they're going, you can't be saved. Needless to say, this stirred up a little bit of dissension. Anybody ever been where church started to fight over theological differences or style differences or, or thinking it's theological differences, but it's really style issues. And this is kind of what they were doing. And so we face a lot of these same things today. Now you can imagine, and, I, and I'll use this as a, as, a, as a springboard to say, they were saying, hey, if you want to get into the church, this is what you got to do. So we're getting ready to have a class coming up this Thursday night. So if you haven't taken it and you want to know, how do I get involved in New Branch? Why do you do church the way you do? Sign up called Catch Division. You can write it on your connection card or you can come see us at the Welcome Center and sign up for it. Um, but can you imagine if we had our, well, our, our class and it kind of just says, hey, here's how you plug into our church. We have small groups, so you need some fellowship. You need to serve, so here's some areas you can serve in. And then we said, oh, and by the way, you also need to have, for the men, you need to have a little surgery. Can you imagine? We said, we got a scalpel right out back. We're going to take care of because the Gentiles, now a lot of us, you know, in modern times, you, you've been circumcised. But in those days, the Gentiles, for the most part, were not. Can you imagine? And the attendance level was starting to go down a little bit. The men, they're going I mean, this is nice, but that's way too far for us. Okay, verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, let me just explain who Paul and Barnabas are. Paul, for those of you who didn't know, was, the, was really the apostle to the Gentiles. So you have Jews, and then you have everybody else, okay? So people that live in Israel, they're Israelites or Jews, and then everybody else is Gentile. And so Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was, when, when he was younger... He was prejudiced against all Gentiles. So it's pretty ironic that God selected him to be the one to minister to them. So when he got saved, he got radically saved. You might know the story where he was on his horse heading to persecute Christians, and he got knocked off his horse by light, which was Jesus. Um, Literally blinded by the light, knocked off the horse, and and received Christ as his Savior, and it transformed his life. And he started to preach, and and he was taught that salvation is by God's grace. So when he saw these people, he's like, what are you saying? You, you can't teach them this. That's not what the gospel is all about. What I want you to pay attention to, especially as the church, is this. What happened next? Because what happened next is so powerful and so rare sometimes that as they have this dispute, look what they did with it. This is the important part. Because we're going to have things that come up. We're going to have conflicts that come up. But how they dealt with it is so important. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the believers to go to Jerusalem to the, to the apostles and the elders to ask them about this question. Okay. okay? So instead of saying, we're going to deal with this right now, or I have authority and you don't have authority, they decided to go to the leadership, which is the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. This is really important. They didn't divide over it. They didn't continue to argue about it. They said, let's get some counsel. Let's, let's, not, just, let's not just make this a huge thing. Anybody ever been part of a church where they started arguing about these things? <laughs> it's ugly, isn't it? It's toxic. And they decided, hey, we're not going to do that. We're going to go here. Verse 3. The church sent them on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and, and they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made it to all the believers, and, and they were very glad. Verse 4. 
When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So they were kind of like missionaries returning from along. We're going to have some missionaries in a couple weeks that, that haven't been home in a very long time. But now we keep up with them with Facebook and everything. Now, in ancient times, it was, I mean, it was hard to even get a letter out, you know. And so they had been traveling through the known world. Paul had been ministering all over the place. And so they're coming back, and they're telling them what's happening all over the world. And they're saying the Gentile churches are bursting at the seams. In fact, the Gentile churches were growing faster than the, the, the Jewish churches. And there might be a little bit there, you know how that works, where it's like, well, what are they doing? They're watering down the gospel, <laughs> these kinds of things. And so Paul's like, you know, but they're celebrating. They're going, wow, you guys are getting incredible results. And then Paul paused and he said, yeah, thank you for celebrating. Now, the reason we came, guys, we got a little bit of a problem here. And we need to lay this out and we need to get this straight because we're teaching the gospel and we're teaching two different things here. I'm teaching that people come to faith in God and then their lives start to change. But I'm not asking them to go to an old covenant law or, or that style. I'm not front-end loading the gospel. I'm saying come to Jesus, and by God's grace, he's going to save you, and then start to make the changes in your life. But these guys are saying, in fact, we'll let them speak for themselves, and they do. They say this, verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said. So if you want to underline a word, circle that word Pharisee. Um, <laughs> Now, now we're going, I think I see what the problem is. The Pharisees are now in the church. <laughs> now, I don't know if you know the Pharisees, but they're the same ones that crucified Jesus. You get the idea? And, and they're the same ones that, that would, when Paul was there and he was a Pharisee, they were persecuting the church. But now, after decades of the church going on, the Pharisees now are part of the church. You, you get kind of the picture? <laughs> the dark side is now in, inside the light of the church. I, I don't want you to take that approach. In fact, I've taught it that way before, and I'm kind of like, now you know what the problem is. That's pretty wrong because the Pharisees were real believers. That, that doesn't make them bad, okay? They just were steeped in their tradition. Be careful to vilify people that are steeped in tradition because they're understanding it and they're coming there to really have a conversation about what do we do with this. And they didn't do it in a bad way. They came here going, this is how we were raised. Now, what do we do with all this new stuff? You get the idea? That's what they're doing. And, and they explained exactly what it was for them. Uh, Verse 5, the Gentiles must be circumcised as required by, by keeping the law of Moses. This is how we understand it. If they don't do that, they're not following the law of Moses. Now, for us, we're going, well, of course we want people to follow the law of Moses, right? Are the Ten Commandments? <laughs> yeah. Anybody want to be murdered? <laughs> no, right? I mean, anybody want to be people stealing stuff from you? No. I mean, we're not talking about just the moral law. When we say the law of Moses, we're talking about 630 laws that they have to follow. And the Pharisees added another 600 to them. In fact, the Pharisees' laws were so steep that when Jesus came, he wasn't good enough. The Son of God came, and he couldn't live up to their standards. You ever been to a church like that? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and so they're saying, hey, if these people want to be part of the church, we're fine with that. If Gentiles want to be believers, we're not discriminating against them. You get it? All we're saying is, is they need to follow our 613 laws, okay, and have a little surgery, and then they can be part. <laughs> the apostles were faced with a huge decision. And what they were about to do may not seem like a big deal. Because i got to tell you, these are the kind of meetings that everybody's going, man, who wants to be bogged down with this kind of bureaucratic nonsense? Let's just spread the gospel and be done with it. But this is so important how they handled it. Because had they not handled it correctly, some of us might not be sitting here today. Okay. Verse 6. 
the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, some of you might know who Peter is, some of you don't. And I, I just want to explain it real quick. Peter was an apostle of Jesus. You might have heard it. St. Peter, he lets you into the pearly gates. No, not that guy. But, but, but Peter is an apostle of, of Christ, and he was called early on, and so he had always followed Christ. We know Peter because he stuck his foot in his mouth many times. He had said some crazy things sometimes. He walked on water, and then he sank, you know, that kind of thing. Um, he denied the Lord three times. He had, had, he had a lot of bruises. Um, but he also did some great things. And one of the things he did was he had said, you know, when Jesus said, who do people say I am? And he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter's like, wow, I did that. And, and, but it's like, not you, Peter, the confession is what he's talking about. But then he utilized Peter, even after he denied him, to preach the message that started the church. If you read in Acts chapter 2, the one who got to preach and the church started, 3,000 people got saved and baptized that day. That would be a huge baptism, wouldn't it? (laughs) But you're kind of tired after that. Um, And so 3,000 people saved and baptized. Peter was a patriarch. But now I want you to understand this, because now decades have passed. Peter is becoming an old man, okay? And his influence... It's not that he didn't have it, but the influence has now shifted in the church to James, the brother of Jesus. If you read history, you'll know this. Because James was a Judaizer. Not bad, just he was very traditional Jew. And he loved Jesus, and James saw the resurrected Christ. He didn't believe in Christ while he was alive, but he came to faith in Christ. And then later he wrote the book of James, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why I'm going there. Because now Peter's influence, it had shifted to James. James is called the church father. And now people are following James, and Peter could have done this, and this is where I want the challenges. If you're a mature Christian in the room and you've been in church for a long time, you could easily say, I see all this new stuff going on. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take a pass. Just let it work itself out. I don't want to get involved. I've seen a lot of Christians say that. because They think that conflict means that, they think that not being divisive means I don't get involved. Can I tell you something? God is calling you to, and it's your God-given responsibility to do so. And Peter stepped up to the plate. This is really important. And it takes people like Peter to make this stuff work. So Peter says this. Brothers, you know that some time ago God had made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. (laughs) You know what he's saying? He's going... He's going, I know you guys are, are, are struggling. And he goes, and I know that a lot of you guys are struggling with Paul. Paul. And Paul is a lightning rod because he's so, he's so pushy. You know? And I know you guys are kind of saying, here's two camps. Here's James and here's Paul. And I'm telling you, this isn't a Paul thing. This is a Jesus thing. You remember? Because years ago, before Paul was even in existence, God called me the Macedonian call. You remember, I went to Macedonia with the Gentiles and there was a guy named Cornelius and God called me a Jew, to go there and minister to this guy. And then he gave me a vision on the way there. Now, this ain't going to mean much to you guys, but, but real important and, and very important to what we eat. <laughs> because the Jews were following their customary tradition of eating Jewish foods. Okay? If you go into Leviticus, you can read all the dietary laws that they had to follow, which are types and shadows. And in that, in that passage, back in the beginning of Acts, Peter got a vision from God that said, it brought down all these animals, and it said, go ahead and eat of all of them. And he was like, I'm sorry. I've never had any of that touch me. That's unclean food. And then the message came to him that said, do not call unclean what I have called clean. You know, I think that's a message for the church. And he's saying, you remember when I did that? And everybody's going, yeah, we kind of remember that. 
We kind of lost sight of it because we're trying to get people to go back to these old types and shadows. And he's saying, it's not just a Paul thing, it's a Jesus thing. And then he says, but Acts chapter 15, verse 8, this is really important. God who knows the heart. You want to circle that? God who knows the heart. And I got a feeling some of them were struggling as many people that have been Christians for a number of years are going, yeah, I know God knows the heart, but, but, but I see their behavior. <laughs> God knows the heart, but I see how they live, and it's offensive to me. You say, God knows the heart, but I see how they mark up their skin. <laughs> they got tattoos. They, these people are not believers. These, these people don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't smell like us. They don't wear suits to church. You know what I mean? They're not they're right. You know, they sit in chairs and not pews, and they play guitars and not pianos. You, know, you get the idea? That's kind of what he's saying here. And he's saying, he's saying, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Now, they just said you cannot be saved unless you've been circumcised. But Peter's saying, wait a minute, you're saying they're not saved, but I'm telling you that I went there and I laid hands on them and they received the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, they can't do that if they're unbelievers. So he's, he's making a very bold statement, isn't he? Just, wait a minute, they received the Holy Spirit just as you did. And he takes it further. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. He didn't discriminate because there is no us and them. There's only us. And we got to work this thing out, guys. You see, you see, the problem is, is you're thinking they're like that, and Paul's in this camp, and James is in this camp, and he's going, there is no us and them. God gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. God didn't discriminate between us and them. Okay. And the Pharisees are going, well, I understand, but their, their, their ways are offensive to us. They need to follow our ways of doing this. He addresses that too, verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? <laughs> you know what he's doing? He's doing what somebody mature can do. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> As you look around the room, you're going, yeah, you seem pretty godly today, but I know you, right? You guys are acting all like you, don't, you haven't messed up. You're acting like these Gentiles are so bad, and they're so carnal, and they are, and they're messed up, and it's real messy in those Gentile churches, but so are you. I know you, doctor, you know what I mean? And I'm looking around the room, and I'm thinking, oh, I know Charles Brock, you know? <laughs> I went to high school with Charles, you know what I mean? So I kind of know a little bit. He's younger than me, so I know a lot about Charles. I know, and I can look around the room, and I won't point out people, but I know some of you guys, right? And that's what he's doing. He's going, Bartholomew, I know you. I know you in high school. You didn't follow this as a Jew. So what makes you think that these Gentiles are going to do any better with this? Is that how you think salvation is? You think salvation is clean up your act and come to God? Is that what you think it is? Is that how you think you get there? God who knows the heart. No. Let me tell you what it's about. In fact, he says this, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 11. I want you to circle a word. No. Circle the word no. You know where we see that in this whole series? We've been paying attention to this. We said that Satan tells us lies about some toxic thoughts and words and all these kinds of things. And every time we come up against it, there's a scripture that says no. And what it's happening is, is it's when you see the lie, then you're going, no, I see who's in this. This is Satan. Satan's in this one. And, and you remember, right, when, when, when we're saying, hey, when you think you're defeated, and he goes, no, in Christ we are more than conquerors. Remember that? You think you're going to be defeated. You think you can never be saved. You think you can do all this. And he said, no, 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 you're more than conquerors. 
Jesus did this. Remember when he was with Peter, in fact. And I think Peter knows this. He's picking up some words from Christ himself that, P- that Jesus used on him. I don't know if you remember. But Peter came to Jesus and said, you shouldn't be, I don't want you to be crucified. You need to stop talking that way. And you remember what Jesus said? No. Get behind me, Satan. Remember when he said that? And it kind of shocked Peter, like, really? <laughs> you're going to say no like that? And he's saying No. No, this, what you're doing here is toxic. You're teaching people that they need to work for their salvation. In fact, you're telling them that works are going to get them there along with grace, and that's not true. It's by God's grace. In fact, that's what he says. We believe it through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. How are you saved? You're saved by your works? I know you. I remember you. No, you're not. You're saved by God's grace. You aren't any better. You get it? Maybe you need to write down this. God will purify a heart before he purifies a life. This is huge. So important, the sequence here. God purifies the heart before he purifies a life. And I know what the question is going to be next, especially amongst us that have been Christians for 10 years or more. Wait a minute now, John. You saying it doesn't matter what we do? You're saying, you're saying that sin gives us, that, that salvation gives us a license to sin? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying what you do matters a lot. But it matters in the sequence in which you do it in. See? I'll give you a reference and you can look it up for yourself. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and then verse 10. Verse 10 is usually left off, okay? But this, this, this whole passage flows together. And it says this, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what it's saying? You can't earn your way to being saved. You're a sinner. And you're only saved by God's grace alone. Nobody that's too bad. And I got to tell you, people that are really down, that might be good news to you today. You're saved by God's grace. Now, where does the works come in? Verse 10 says this, you're a workman created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he had prepared for you before the foundations of the world. You think works aren't important? He said, I prepared this job for you before the foundation of the world. But what I'm trying to make sure you understand here is the sequence, because it may seem small. It may seem like semantics, but it is not. It is a huge difference between saying, I'm saved by God's grace, and out of the grace of God, I live for him. Then saying, I changed my life so he'll accept me. Now, some of you have, have learned this, right? How many, people, how many Baptists, don't raise your hand. How many Baptists do we have? You've learned this, right? You need to change that behavior first. You need to get that haircut first. You need to dress up and look like us, right? Oh, I'm picking on Baptists. Catholics, you got the guilt trip down, don't you, right? You do the guilt first, and then, and then that's what religion teaches, right? Uh, just so you don't think I'm, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Okay, Pentecostal holiness, right? Well, you really got it. You got holiness in the name. I mean, come on, right? I mean, holiness, you better not wear any makeup. You better not do any, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Those of you that are, you you know, I'll see you shaking your head. (laughs) Why am I saying that? Because we got it front end loaded. You changed that. And remember what Jesus taught? And this isn't just a Peter thing. This is a Jesus thing. Remember Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he goes, guys, you got a problem. You're cleaning the outside of the cup, but inside is poison. You are you you clean the outside of your coffin, right? You're like a coffin, and on the inside is dead man's bones. And the problem is not your behavior, is your heart. And the problem is you're being motivated to do good behavior, but out of a heart that is not pure to God. Get it? And he's going inside his dead man's bone, and one day your heart will catch up with your behavior, and that will be a bad day. And Paul and Peter is saying it is by God's grace. Don't forget it. 
and then their lives will change, but not into our style, okay? Not going back to old types and shadows, but stick to God's grace. We'll skip down to verse 13. He says this, when they finished, James spoke up. Uh-oh. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He, he's the, the Judaizer, and he's got an opinion here. And what James does is very important, okay? What James does here is extremely important to this process because he could have taken this in a whole different direction and he had people depending on him to do so. He he could have tried to say, wait a minute now, we're not going to do that. We're going to divide this thing up. But what he does here is huge. He says, brothers, he said, listen to me. Of course, they're all listening to him. he He is the man. Get it? He's the guy that has the most influence. He says several things. You can go back and read it for yourself. And then in verse 19, he says this. It is my judgment, therefore, I think you need to underline this one, that we do not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. <laughs> can I tell you what this is? This is the mission statement for the church. And somehow the church can drift and make salvation and the gospel so difficult for people. Now, the gospel is difficult, okay? Following Christ is one of the most difficult things you will ever do. But we don't need to add to it, and that's what he's saying. He's going, why are we making it difficult? He saw this, and he said, "I I could take my side and take it up a notch, but instead him and Peter came together. And the church came together and he said, I see what you're saying. And it's our job not to make it difficult. This is huge. That's the vision. Verse 20, he gives a little bit of advice. He says, instead, we should write, write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat, strangled animals, and from blood. So there's like four things here. <laughs> James took 613 things and he boiled them down to four. And let me explain to you why he's saying this. He's going, hey, because, because I, I, think, I think there's a slant here that's saying Peter is right, and that means we just out with the old and in with the new. And I've seen this in churches, right? Out with the old style and in with the new, and we're so much better that we're going to flaunt our style and just do away with all old traditions. You get the idea? And, and James is saying we don't need to follow all 613 laws. I get it. But there's some things that are very important to our Jewish brothers that are meeting with you guys. And these, these are just four things. Not 613, just four. Get it? And the first one was really important. He's saying, food polluted by idols. And you're going, what does that mean, right? I mean, you're probably looking at the whole list going, I don't think I understand. Um, but here's where they were struggling. In, in those days, they, they had a lot more idols, especially in the Gentile countries, and they would offer food to these idols. Well, the idols were like a god to them, but, but they didn't actually eat <laughs> So they would take the same food and sell it in the marketplace and a little bit cheaper because they had been sitting in front of this idol. Just And some Christians, especially the Jewish Christians, were offended by the food because they were saying, that's been offered to idols, so it's cursed. And later on we found out it's not really cursed. I mean, who cares? I mean, the idol's nothing, and any food that's set before you, you can eat, and you really don't have to worry about that. But he's saying, hey, if you've got Jewish brothers there, could you just be aware of that? Could you just not try to offend them with that? Because that's, that's a big deal, okay? There's not a lot of big deals, but that's a big one. Um, sexual immorality, that's just basic morality. I mean, I, don't, I think everybody can agree with that. Uh, meat of strangled animals, don't strangle your animals, okay? That's good. And, and from blood, don't drink blood, that's gross, okay? I think we can all go along with James, okay, you got a good list here going on. Be sensitive to your Jewish brothers is what he's saying. 
Verse 21, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, that don't mean a lot. Here's what it's saying. It's saying, you know what? I know there's not a set day that you have to meet. I get it. But our Jewish brothers meet at this time and they read the book of the law. And so if they're there and this is a big deal to them, can we just do that? And everybody's going, yeah, okay. So, So basically you took and you gave us five things. Okay, we can do that, right? We can do that. And they said a whole bunch of other things, and then they sent a letter to the Gentiles, and I want to read what it says because it's, it's powerful. Um, and, and you can imagine what the Gentiles are thinking at this point, right? Especially the Gentile men. Surgery? No surgery. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Acts 15, verse 30. So the men were sent off, and they went down to Antioch, and, and were, they were all gathered together and delivered this letter. They were delivered the letter of what they had decided, what James had said, what Peter had said. And they got this letter, and the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. I don't know if you know how powerful that verse is, but it's huge. Because I don't know how many churches you've been part of that have argued over things like this, but oftentimes the message they send out after is not encouraging. Anybody experience that? Oftentimes, it's division. But instead of the church splitting on that day, you know what they did? They came together. And, and, and grace and truth coming together didn't explode the church. It brought it together, and they spread the gospel to the known world in their lifetime. That's a fact. Can I tell you, I think there's a message here for us as a church. I think what it's saying is, is pay attention. Pay attention because it's easy. Here's, here's what I kind of took from it. It's very easy for the church to drift from what it's supposed to be about. It really is. There's some natural drifts. I don't know how much you know about drifts. <laughs> but if you've been in a boat, I've been in a boat, and I talk a lot. And so a lot of times we're not paying attention. And you'll be in a boat fishing or something, and you don't have the anchor on it. And then, and then it'll, like, go in, and then we're hitting a bridge or something. <laughs> because we're not paying attention. Because it, the water drifts, especially in rivers and stuff, you know, where they have tidal stuff and all that. <laughs> Found that out the hard way. Pay attention, right? Because if you drift, you're going to be in bad shape. Or, you know, you can drift a lot further than you think. Very easy. I'll tell you where else drifts matter is in airplanes. Because airplanes are going so fast, but there's so many variables on an airplane that they can get off course very easily. In fact, an airplane typically is never on course. I don't know if you knew that. That's not very encouraging if you're flying, huh? But what it is is they continue to check in with the tower, and they adjust their course. And they check in with the tower. And I think what God is calling us to do here today, this, the stuff I'm talking about is nothing new to, to us. But it is a check-in to say, be careful. The natural drift would be to do these things. In fact, I'll just go ahead and be real honest. If you do, if you do the things that we're talking about and don't avoid them, your life will be a lot easier. It really will. Satan will leave you alone if you do these things. Satan will leave your church alone, and it will appear as though things are a lot easier if you do this, and they are. But if you you, you don't, here's what's going to happen. If you don't avoid these drifts, let me tell you what your church will be. Let me tell you what this church will be. Toxic. Not a little bit harmful. Toxic. And we will not complete the mission that God has given us, so we have to avoid these drifts. I'll tell you what the drifts are. Number one. The drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. (laughs) The drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. You know what I mean? The insiders are the people that are sitting here, okay? Now, you might not be an insider that much just because you've never been here. You know, you haven't been here a lot. That's fine. 
And in a way, it has to do with how well we welcome people when they come in. That's true. But what I'm talking about is the outsiders, the people that are not here. And the church will naturally drift towards the people that are here, right? And take care of the ones that are here. And I already know some people will start thinking, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we take care of the people that are here? Yeah. Doesn't the Bible teach that, that you will know that you're my disciples if you love each other? Yeah. Who would want to be here if we don't take care of our own people that are here? So, so don't hear what I'm not saying, but I want to tell you that it's easy to take care of the ones that are here because they're going to squeak. You get it? <laughs> you know who doesn't squeak? You know who doesn't complain? You know who I've never gotten a complaint from? You know who's never called me up after Sunday and said, you know what, i got a complaint about your service today. It's somebody who's never been here. It's one of the things that endears me to them. You know I mean? They don't complain. It wasn't too hot. The chairs aren't too hard. You know, all these things that, that people that come here complain about, they don't. They're not here. And the question is, how do you reach out to them? Now, there's several things that, that could be possible this message, and there might be churches that struggle with these issues. And, I, and when I talked about this stuff before, I answered some of these questions. And it's funny how pastors can answer questions that nobody or, nobody's asking or, or not even struggling with. And so you say things like this. You can drift towards prejudice. That's bad, right? People that are like us and, and not like us. This church hasn't struggled as much with that. We have some diversity here, and we don't mind that. We have biracial. We have people of every culture, and they're, and they're more than welcome here. We don't struggle with a lot of style issues. I mean, we can, you can be contemporary or traditional or whatever, and, and we don't struggle a lot with that. We, we don't struggle with people dressing. They can dress casual, and then I've had people call up and say, is it okay if I wear a suit because I just feel more comfortable? I'm like, of course. I mean, we don't care. As long as you wear clothes, <laughs> we're kind of good with it. And <laughs> some of you guys went too far. Okay, so <laughs> I know you. <laughs> so I had to add that in because they would just go, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we'll go there another time. Uh, <laughs> here's where we struggle. Because it may seem like, you got this one, this isn't a problem for us, but it is a problem for us. And the reason it's a problem, let me tell you why it's a problem. Because we're too busy. It is hard to reach outsiders, because they're not here. And they don't care. And they're consumer-driven. And there's things you've got to do to get them to come in. And can I tell you what Jesus taught? He said, go out in the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. This church, learn here, Acts chapter 15, learn. Don't make it difficult. I could say it the opposite. Make it easy for people to turn to Christ. You know who it's not easy for? Those that are trying to reach them. Because i got to tell you, it's much easier when they had a bunch of Jews in the room that all understood what they were talking about. It was much harder when you get these Gentiles and you're going, wow, they're really messed up. Right? Get it? Hard. It's why we drift towards the insider and away from outsiders. But if you only drift towards the insider, you are not completing the mission of God. It'll be much easier. Amen. But God's mission is the outsider. All right. Number two, the drift towards the law and away from grace. <laughs> you might be going, I don't know about that. The, the drift towards the truth, the drift towards the rule book, the, the drift towards replacing relationships with a rule book. Now, I know when I say that, it already incites some people because they're going, well, aren't the rules important? Yep. But how they are given is all equally as important. And I got to tell you, the rule book is easier. Anybody seen that? If I make policies, right? If I make policies and categories, it's very simple. I just say sinner, right? That's your category. Policy, get out, <laughs> go away, right? Come back when you're all cleaned up. That would be much easier than building a relationship with somebody that's, that's going, hey, I want this, but I'm still struggling. You get the idea? 
And can I tell you why we do it? We don't do it because we're so hypocritical and we believe that people can't be saved. Let me tell you why. Because if you've been a Christian long enough, then what happens is you start to become cynical. And you start to be going, you know what? I keep hearing the same problem over and over and over, and I'm kind of sick of it. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm just going to write this down and look at this. And if you're willing to do these things, you can be part. If you're not, thanks. See you. Don't even bother sitting down. Just go on. That sounds easy. It sounds like, you know, and, and we're not talking about enabling people. We don't want to do that. We're not talking about not having accountability. We, we believe in that. We're not talking about not saying difficult things. We're saying don't do it through a rule book. Do it through a relationship, which is very hard. And it's time-consuming. And it's messy. Can I tell you, Jesus is the model. I could give you multiple examples of Jesus doing this. But one that comes to mind, and we've used it a lot, but I want you to make sure we always keep it out in front of us. When Jesus called his apostles, he called Matthew the tax collector. It's always interesting to me. He started calling people. He called Peter and different ones. And they come down there, and they meet with Matthew, the tax collector, and they're going, what are we doing here? Right? And this guy is a sinner. The tax collectors are the worst because they're stealing from people. Rome allows them to steal. They're stealing from us. And they're sellouts, and they live by themselves on purpose because we hate those people. And Jesus comes to Matthew while he's practicing tax collecting. You get the picture? And calls him to be part of his inner circle. When he says, follow me, he doesn't mean follow me like just follow me down the street. He's saying, follow me as, as your master. Follow me as you would somebody that you're going to learn from. And everybody's going, this guy? You can't mean this guy. He needs to clean up first. He's the wrong guy. And, and, then, and then as they're trying to quiet Jesus down, he marches right down the middle of the street and goes to Matthew's house. You read the account. It's amazing. Matthew and Mark, they both tell the same story. <laughs> and when he gets to Matthew's house... It's filled with who? Sinners and tax collectors. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus went in bars and got drunk. I'm not saying people that struggle with alcoholism should go to bars. That's, that's the worst thing in the world you could do. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Jesus was comfortable being around people that were nothing like him. And people that were nothing like him. This is a, this is a great message for the church. People that were nothing like Jesus were very comfortable being around him. Isn't that something? He understood how to compel them. He understood how to sit with them. And he didn't water down the truth. He was the son of God. Of course he didn't. But he was comfortable building relationships with people. And as a result of the relationships, lives started to change. But i got to tell you, it's very messy doing that. And can I tell you, church people will criticize you. Because guess what came next? The Pharisees stood out there and were going, this is when Jesus first started. So they're going, what is he doing? Why is he with those guys? And so they came, and they wanted to ask him, but he didn't even bother coming out. (laughs) Did you know? And he sent the word to them, and they said, why are you doing this? Why is Jesus, your master, doing this? And so the the disciples kind of came back, and they said, I'll tell you why he's doing it. He said, because, let me see if I get this right. (laughs) Because the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. And if I remember right, he said, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. In other words, It's not enough to gather around believing and behaving right. Now, anybody agree that it's nice for people to believe right? Yeah. Is it nice for people to behave right? Of course. But what Jesus is teaching in his word is this. If you only gather around believing and behaving right, guess what? You'll be outside the room that I inhabit. And this is the problem in church. This is where church becomes toxic. Because when we're not comfortable with the messiness of relationships, and we replace it with a rule book. Let me tell you what happens. We drift towards the law and away from grace. Can I tell you something? Christ will not go with us. And it's absolutely toxic. 
And I understand what I'm asking because if you do it the way he's asking you to do it, it's going to be hard because you're going to be around sinners and tax collectors. And that doesn't mean we participate. God loves you right where you are and too much to leave you there. But it also doesn't mean, and you're also going to be criticized from other churches, right? Because they're going to go, you watered down the gospel. You allow anybody to come. You get the idea? The drift towards the law and away from grace. The last one is equally important. The drift towards preserving rather than advancing. That churches can become risk adverse. And that's kind of what we saw here in the first century. They're going, wait a minute. We need to kind of preserve. Somebody showed me this morning. They said, take a look at this. And it was a sign that said, hey, the church is a hospital for the hurting. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. It's easy to go there. Preserve until I come. Get it? Maintain until I come. Hold the fort. Some of you guys know this, aren't Hold the fort for I'm coming. You could do that. Can I tell you something? If you hold, Satan will leave you alone. You want life to be easy? Maintain your church. Get it? Don't advance. Maintain. Preserve. Preserve. Make sure nobody's tarnished. Make sure your reputation ain't tarnished. Make sure everybody looks like you, acts like you, smells like you. Get it? And, and, and you know what? You'll stay there and you'll meet around believing and behaving right. And you'll preserve. And Satan will leave you alone because he knows it's the most toxic thing in the world. Because God's never called us to preserve. You know what he called us to do? Advance. He called us to kick in the gates of hell and to go after it and advance his kingdom while there's still time. Now that doesn't sound, when I say his kingdom, it doesn't sound so great to me, really. I'll tell you when it does, though. When I go, when I look at the baptismal pool and I go, now you got to face. Some of these people, the kingdom of God is made up of people. And the reason why it's not enough to preserve is they are not here. You understand why this is so important? The mission of the church isn't to preserve a bunch of do-gooders. It's to seek those that aren't. It's to seek those and watch God transform their lives. And I've got to tell you, it's messy and it's difficult and it's violent and it's all kinds of things. But let me tell you something. It's worth it because it's God's mission to reach the one lost soul while there's still time. And here's what I know. If we'll avoid these drifts, perhaps God would use us to build his kingdom. Let me say it different. God would use us to reach the one while there's still time. Let me ask you a question. Is that worth giving your life to? Let's stand for prayer. Father, most of this convicts me to the core because, to be honest, if there's anybody that drifts, I do. But I do believe this, God, for all of us, there's grace. I believe for all of us, Lord, we can adjust our course and make sure we don't do these natural drifts, but, God, we start to do things your way so that, God, we might build your kingdom, that we might reach the one lost soul while there's still time. I pray, God, give us guidance. Give us, give us wisdom like you did this first century church. Make us that kind of church. I, I pray, God, for the other churches in our area that you do the same for them. And, Lord, we don't have a corner on the truth that we're an expression of the body of Christ. But I pray all over the place, Lord, that we embrace this, that we might reach the one person, that we stop preserving and start advancing your kingdom. We need to. God, I pray for the one that came here today that maybe they've experienced toxic religion. Maybe they're going, I don't think I can be saved. I don't know if I want to be saved. But if, but if that's what it means to have a relationship with God where he, he helps me, 
and he changes my heart, and then he starts to purify my life, I pray, God, be with them on that journey. And I know it's a difficult one, especially as we start to change things. But I pray today, God, they can open up their heart to you and receive you as their Savior. And it changes their lives. And God, make us a church that does that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, we'll be here after the service for everybody else. God bless you. Have a great week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.